Hey, church family, it's uh, so good to be with you and uh, to be able to encourage you today in the Word of God through a midweek Bible teaching. Uh, we hope you're finding those times encouraging with your family, uh, whether you get it on the Wednesday and watch it, or it's another time during the week, or maybe you're uh, listening to it through a podcast or whatever it might be. We hope that you're being encouraged through God's Word. Um, interesting, this last couple of weeks, I had this opportunity to share with my kids uh, something I guess I hadn't shared with them before. Um, about a, a footprint that has been—it's been in my Bible. Actually, I have, I have a footprint in two of my Bibles, and it was—it was an idea that came from um, I think a, a guest speaker for Family Life one time, and and they were talking about how uh, they had put a footprint in their Bible in an area to remind them as a parent uh, of their responsibility to to train their kid and, and, and to teach their children and to love their children uh, unto the Lord. So I—it I, came up somehow in my home. Um, and uh, I remember my kids either looking at different different footprints and tracks and and being curious or, or something like that. But we we ended up uh, showing them uh, our our Bible here. And this is my my Bible from when Bailey was born. And this is her footprint here. Uh, and her her footprint is on Psalm one twelve. And I'm just going to read the first two verses of that. It's the encouragement for me as a dad uh, or for any parent. Uh, it says, "Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who hears the Lord." Uh, who finds great delight in his commands, his children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So an encouragement for me to be a man who who fears the Lord and who delights in God's commands so that my children will also see that and uh, that they will be a generation that is upright and blessed. So that was part of what that was. There's more to Psalm 112 as well that gets deeper and more more rich. But today I want to encourage you as a, as a church family, and I know not everyone listening has has children, um, and that's that's okay. We're all called to invest in others, right? To for older men to teach younger men, for older women to teach younger women. Um, we're all called to do that. And whether we have our own children or whether we're investing in others' children, it takes a village to raise children. And and you and I should be thinking about the legacy that we have uh, when it pertains to obedience to the word and what we're showing those children, those people around us through our obedience to that. Um, the other passage of scripture is what we're actually gonna go through today. This is Wesley's footprint uh, on a different Bible, and it's in Psalm 22. Now Psalm 22 is uh, the prophecy of, of Christ. It's uh, Christ's suffering on the cross. And we're actually gonna cover this, interestingly enough, um, this summer as we go through the summer of the Psalms. Um, but I wanted to, to just take verses 26 through 31 and, and talk about what that legacy should look like in each of our hearts for the next generation. Uh, before I do that, let's let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful uh, for your love and for your word. We're grateful that you have set an example for us through Christ. And God, as, as parents or, or just individuals who desire God to, to leave a legacy for the next generation, God, I pray that you would help us follow the example of Christ. God, that we would be humble servants, that we would be people who, who uh, search after you with all of our heart and who, who desire to do your will and to, to follow your word. So we're thankful for that, God. We ask that you would uh, give us wisdom now as, as we go to your word. God, uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth that's there. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm chapter 22, looking at verses 26 through 31. It says, uh, and this is, this is Jesus um, basically speaking or praying to God about his suffering, right? This is, how, this is what's going to happen to the suffering servant of Christ or of, of God uh, in Christ. And, and this is what he, the satisfaction he finds. He says this, Through my suffering, the humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. 
May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell a people yet to be born about his righteousness, what he has done. So again, another passage for for us, for me personally, as a dad, and, and to look at it and analyze, what am I passing on to my kids? Am I, am I letting them know about the suffering of Jesus and what that accomplished for them? So I want to look through those uh, a little more in depth today, and we'll turn to some other passages of Scripture as well. But if we go back up to, to verse 26, we see uh, what is this person looking like? What is this? What, what should we look like? What should this legacy be? Well, we see that humility uh, will lead to satisfaction. Uh, Jesus, is, his prayer, his, his desire, his satisfaction is found in, in the fact that the humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. Uh, may your hearts live forever. Uh, he knows that what the, the, the cup of suffering that he is enduring, uh, if we would go to him and turn from ourselves and turn to him in faith, that we would have this total satisfaction, that, that he is the satisfaction that we need, that he is indeed the bread of life. And I want to turn to that passage in John where it really talks about that. When we eat and are satisfied, what are we looking for? Are we looking for just some, some miracle? Are we looking for food? Uh, or, or are we actually looking for belief in Christ? So turn your Bibles to John, if you would, to John uh, chapter 6. And we're going to just see what Jesus had this interaction with some folks. Uh, and, and I want to see what he said about himself and about what we should be seeking. So John chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 22 uh, through 38 together. Uh, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew there had, there had only been one boat. Uh, they also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had ate uh, the bread after the Lord gave thanks. Well, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So let's just pause there for a minute before we finish that passage. Jesus confronts these folks that they're coming we want to be filled again we want a miracle we want to see these these wonders that you perform and he says you're not you're not looking at the signs and what he's saying is you're not looking at the signs of, of scripture the prophets and everything that points to the son of man to jesus christ as savior that's who you ought to be looking for that's where you're going to find your satisfaction all you want is to get get more food and and here's what's interesting about that <clears throat> they had been filled the day before when Jesus fed them, right, the feeding of the 5,000, the fish and the loaves, when he, when he had fed them, they had their fill. But guess what? The next day, they were hungry again. They were looking for Jesus to see if he could give them their fill again. And that's the truth, though, for you and I. If we're seeking after a fill uh, in something that will never really satisfy, uh, we'll always be hungry. 
but Jesus is the one who can really bring life and can really fill us. So he goes on here. Um, he says, or they ask, what, what can we do to perform the works of God? They're like, well, we want to right standing with God. Uh, Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you would believe in the one he has sent. So poignant. So poignant then, so poignant now. It's not just for a wonderful uh, experience. It's not for some fill of, of food. It's actually that the work of God is that we would believe in the one that God has sent for us, Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to find our satisfaction. That's what we, where we have to be uh, led to. Um, they, then they say, what, what sign are you going to do that we may see you and believe, or see and believe you? They ask, what, what are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're looking, well, what, how are you going to miraculously, divinely provide for us from heaven? And Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, yeah, they had manna, they had bread, but I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the one that gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. And he said, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me uh, will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come, uh, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose or I should lose none of those that he has given me, but should, uh, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, that I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, such an important passage of Scripture, and, and especially as we're referring back to, to Psalm 112, um, we, we see this, this richness, or Psalm 22 rather, I'm sorry. We see this richness in the scripture uh, of Jesus' death and what it's providing. And, and for, for you and I leaving a legacy, we have to have gone to the one who can really give life. And if we haven't gone to the one who can really give life, if we haven't humbled ourselves and believed in Christ for our salvation, then we really have nothing to offer. We might be able to teach someone how to change the oil. We might be able to teach someone how to can a jar of, of pears. But we can't lead them and bring them to eternal life. And that's my goal as a father, my goal and my desire is for my children to know Christ and have a relationship with him that is a saving relationship, not just a head knowledge relationship. So that's the first part we see in, in verse 26 uh, back in Psalm 22. Uh, if you would turn back there with me, I'll turn there as well. Uh, Psalm 22 right there. Uh, let's look at the next couple of passages here, verses 27 and, uh, and 28. He says, and all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. So not only is there a humility in our hearts that we seek Jesus and are satisfied with him, it goes to the next place. It shows the true repentant heart of someone who comes to faith in Christ. There's a true repentance here. It says they remember and they turn to the Lord and they bow down. That's a huge picture of repentance. I want to think about this, this passage of Scripture. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15. I'll try to keep my paper here as well. But Luke chapter 15 is the, par the parable or the, or the story of the prodigal son. And I want us to see some of the imagery here and some of the, the verbiage that's similar 
uh, in this idea of remembering and turning and and bowing and and really giving honor where honor is due. So in chapter 15 of Luke, beginning uh, in verse 11, we'll go through verse 24. He also said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now, this is a, a really uh, disrespectful son going to the father saying, listen, I wish you were dead. Just give me what's owed me and I'm going to get out of your hair. I'm going to go do whatever I want. And the father says, okay, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to let you do that. Um, and then not many days later, the young son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe, a severe famine uh, struck the country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods uh, the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. Now listen, here, here's the remembering part. This is so true in our lives. There, 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 all of us have these opportunities that, that God, God places in our life, a, a circumstance, a situation, a person, right? Something happens in our life where, where he triggers memory and says, listen, it's not all about you. You can't do it on your own. And the memory of this, this son, right? He, he, was, he was sitting there thinking, what am I doing? He says it came to his senses, right? He said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. He, he, he realized something about the father. The father cares. The father gives. The father satisfies. And, and he came to his senses. Then it says, I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. So what, what does he do? He not only remembers, but that remembrance makes him turn around. He turns from his, own, his, his way of life and says, I'm going to go now to my father. I'm not going to live by my own accord anymore or in my own power. I'm going to go to my father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. He just wants to be a hired hand. He just wants to be fed, right? So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So even in the midst of this great compassion, the son still bows. The son still says, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence, but I, I'm coming because I know you're compassionate. So there, there's this progression of salvation. You see it there that someone remembers that, that God puts, puts a memory in their heart or a circumstance and draws them towards that place of repentance. And then they repent. They turn from what they thought would fill and they turn to what, what, what really will fill. And they run to that. They run to Jesus and they, they bow down, unworthy of anything that Jesus will bestow on them. But they bow down and say, I, I want to be a son. I want to be yours. I want to be satisfied by you. So they, he bowed down. It goes in on to verse 22. He says, but the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I think Jesus wants to celebrate over your salvation. He wants to celebrate over you coming to your senses, 
turning from your sin and your own your own ways and running to him in faith and bowing down before him in such an unworthy and humble way, but in a way that will only bring salvation to you. There's no, no form of pride that will be there. There's no form of pride accepted there. There's none of your own works or your own, your own position or your own ego that will be accepted. Only coming to him in the deepest humility with nothing, just longing for him. And he, the Father, will wrap us up and save us. And we're going to talk about that going further in Psalm now with, uh, with his righteousness as well. What, what has the Father really accomplished? But to me, I, I want my children to bow before the real king in that kind of humility. So you know what? I need to model that kind of humility to them. I need to model the fact that I, I'm ready to come to my senses. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to always bow before the King of Kings. Now, certainly I did that in my heart when I came to faith in Christ, but I need to do that over and over every day so my kids can see that, so my wife can see that, so, so people in my life can see that modeled. And, and I'm not modeling some kind of, of super piety that look, says, look at me. I'm modeling something that says there's only life in Jesus. He's the only one that really satisfies. He's the only one that can really save. So I will bow before him. Now, back in our passage uh, in Psalm chapter 22, we'll continue on. Uh, verse 29, what we see in verse 29, um, he says, All who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down. Again, this idea of bowing. So there's those who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down, and those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. So there's two, two camps here. Not, not only will the poor... Uh, actual physically poor people be able to come to faith in Christ. And it might be easier for them, right? We see scripture saying it's it's easier for uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to come to faith, right? Or come to repentance. Uh, that's totally true. But we do see that the rich do come to faith in Christ and, and the poor come to faith in Christ because they bow their hearts. They come and humble themselves. Uh, so it says that every are, uh, to the rest that they will bow before him. But it goes on. It says, even the one who cannot preserve his life. So important. Uh, every knee will bow. Some, some of those knees that will bow will bow in satisfaction, but the others will bow in guilt and in shame. And it's so important for us to understand that, that you, you and I are making that decision whether or not we're going to trust Christ in faith now. Uh, and that decision now will have great consequences and effects for eternity. Either I will bow before the King of Kings face to face in, in humility and in satisfaction because he has saved me, or I will bow in shame and guilt knowing that I am responsible for my own sin and I never had faith, had expressed faith in Christ. And those that are there are in their pride. They come standing in their pride having rejected the Messiah and they rejected the life that he offers. I don't want to be a dad who has rejected the life that Christ offers. I want to be a dad who says there's only life in Christ. There's only life in humility. Every knee will bow. I would like to bow in worship and reverence over the one who saved me, not in guilt and shame and pride and ego condemned by those things. Going on, verse 30. Actually, I want to, I want to read that, that passage out of Philippians, great, a great passage of Scripture. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 gives us this model of, of humility that Christ showed and shared, and it, and it tells us the way that we should live also. Starting in verse 4. Uh, Philippians 2, it says, uh, Everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also the interest of others. Uh, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, 
Uh, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. You will bow and I will bow. Uh, I, I hope and pray that you will bow from a place of reverence and worship because of what Christ has done through your faith in him and not from a place of pride and rejection of the Messiah that you, you thought you were good enough to get there on your own because that will not work at all. We need to bow before him now in reverence and honor in respect and in faith. And going on, verse 30 now, 30 and 31. Descendants will serve him. Again, this is, this is the satisfaction that Jesus is experiencing as he suffers. He knows that through what he's doing, through, through the, the obedience he has to the Father, that descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell a people yet to be born about his righteousness, what he has done. The next generation will be told about the Lord. You know, that's one of the deepest parts and reasons why I have this footprint on my Bible in this passage. Uh, I feel an obligation. I feel a responsibility. I feel a, an honor to go and let my descendants know and tell the next generation about the Lord. It's so, so important for us to do that. Uh, and then they will come and tell a people yet to be born about his righteousness, about what he has done. Listen, we should be eager to share about what the finished work of Christ on the, on the cross has accomplished. It is finished. It's, it's what he has done. And what he has done is provided a way for redemption for us through his death and resurrection. That he has provided a way for us to be righteous without us achieving it on our own. That he is willing to give us his righteousness. Right? We want to tell people about his righteousness. We want to see that go on and on and on. It's so important for us to understand that. I want to, I want to end with this, a little bragging time uh, on my daughter. Um, we recently... Uh, read or start. We started to read the Chronicles of Narnia series, and and we we maybe we started the wrong book. I don't know, but we started with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was my favorite and uh, the one I grew up with. So we read that novel together at night and uh, went through that story. And when we were done with that, uh, we allowed the the kids to watch the the newest movie that's out uh, about that. So we watched the movie, and it was it was a wonderful time. Well. Consequently, uh, our daughter has a book report due for her first grade class. Now, I understand, it, it, don't get me wrong, it's not a book report like you would think of a book report um, where you read a novel and write a book report. It's first grade. So they're reading The, the Big Trip is what their, their story was. It was about uh, pigs and goats going on a trip using bikes and planes and whatever it might might have been. It was short and sweet and to the point. It was really easy to see the solutions and the, and the, the obstacles in the way. But the kids could pick a book of their choice. So my daughter presented to her teacher and said, hey, I'd, I'd like to do uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Her teacher thought that was a great idea. What was really neat to me is the other day we were working on uh, part of her report, and, and she has a diorama she's starting to set up. But part of her report was, what was, what was the problem in the book? What was the, the, the uh, thing that came up that was the, the issue to get around or get over? And then what was the solution? This was, this was amazing to me because... As, as a dad and as a pastor, I want to coach her. I want to tell her, like, because Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, I mean, it, it mashes up. It is scripture. It is about Jesus and his redemption. 
But, but I, I just asked my daughter, I said, okay, I just want to hear from you because this has to be written in your own words. I can't write this for you. What, what was the problem in the story? And I, I forgot to bring it down today, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase it for you, what she said. She said the problem was that Edmund had betrayed his friends or his siblings to the White Witch. And because of the White Witch's power, she was able to, or, or must, she had to kill Edmund. He had to pay for it with his life. His betrayal had to be paid for with his life. That was the problem. This is what my seven-year-old daughter came up with for her first grade book report. And this is what's written down on her thing. Edmund betrayed his friends and he, and he had to die for it. The White Witch had to kill him. So what was the solution, Bailey? And in her words, she said, well, Aslan stepped in and decided to take his place. But because he didn't do anything wrong, he rose from death and he defeated the White Witch. And that was it. I, I, I almost wanted to start bawling right there. Seeing, and, seeing her understand. And of course, at the end of each time, she says, just like Jesus. And, and so she understands that. She sees that. She sees that what Jesus did for us is just what, what Aslan did for Edmund and for everyone in Narnia. And, and it's so important for us to grasp that, that the finished work of Jesus is so important that what he accomplished, he not only accomplished, and is it is it good enough for you and I? Yes, but he did it in our place for us where we deserved to be. It's an amazing, amazing story. It's a story where you and I should humble our hearts always before and bow before him in reverence, thanking him for who he is. So here's my here's my hope for you and for and for me, for our church, is that we would be people who would constantly be bowing our hearts, humbling our hearts, seeking to be like Christ as servants and loving people towards the all-satisfying Jesus and what he's done on the cross, that they would be able to see and have satisfaction in him and in his finished work and, and have his righteousness that's only given through faith in Christ. We want to point people to Jesus. We want to point our neighbors to Jesus. We want to point our parents to Jesus. We certainly want to point our kids to Jesus, but we want to point everyone around us to Jesus. So I hope you would do that. I hope you take that seriously. You don't have to go as drastic as, as I have and put a footprint in your Bible, but maybe if that helps you, you can do that too. Uh, I love you guys so much. I hope you're having a great week this week. Uh, I hope you can, can let this sink in and, uh, and apply that to your life. We'll see you soon. Take care.